I bless your holy name, dear Lord God. And this I pray in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. The word of the Lord reads as follows. Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. And evening came. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. I love that people just couldn't resist. They had to follow him. So it says, although other boats followed, right, soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head resting on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Mark chapter 5. So they arrive on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with chains. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. And verse 7 says, with a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Mm. So to paraphrase a little bit about what's happening here, because we did read quite a few verses there. This story takes place after Jesus had spent a long day of teaching and performing miracles. The Bible says that after a long day of teaching and performing miracles, Jesus tells the disciples, let's get in the boat and let's cross to the other side. So they leave the crowds and the people that they had been ministering to. They get in the boat and they begin their journey to the other side. And the Bible tells us that soon after taking off on their sail, they are confronted with a fierce storm, with waves that are so high that these waves begin to crash into the boat that they're in, and the boat begins to fill with water. Now, if any of you have seen the movie Titanic, I'm sure that you will agree with me that there is nothing scarier than being in the middle of nowhere, in a boat that's filling with water, sinking, and you possibly don't know how to swim. Isn't it interesting that life is very much like being in a boat? One minute, everything is smooth sailing, and the next minute, the sky is growing gray, the clouds are coming in, and the rain begins to fall. I want you to know that when we, what we learn during times 
during our times of storm and how we handle what we've learned is going to determine what happens next. I'm going to repeat that. What we learn during the storm and how we handle what comes next will determine the course of our life's journey. So that brings me to point number one. Point number one, going through it was God's idea. The disciples have suddenly found themselves scrambling around for their life. One minute everything was fine. The next minute they find themselves doing everything in their power just to stay alive. Isn't that just how life is? One minute everything's okay. The next minute you lost your job. One minute everything's okay. And the next minute you're getting a scary diagnosis from the doctor. And before we can even process what's happening, we find ourselves scrambling in this boat that we call life, asking God, Wondering, how did I get here? How am I going to handle this? Why am I going through this? Why am I here again? This storm was threatening to capsize the disciples' boat. And I can imagine them fighting to keep the water out of the boat. But the problem was that their limited human efforts were no match for this raging storm. They were battling against nature itself and that was an element that was completely beyond them and they were sure that they weren't going to make it and just as fear it's interesting because fear settles in and when trials and struggles often they have an ability to often make us feel helpless they have the ability to make us feel desperate and just when fear and desperation try to settle in, it has a funny way of altering what we know and what we believe. And if it has a way of making us forget who's on the boat with us. Isn't that true? That when fear and desperation settles in, it alters what we know and what we believe. And we forget who is on the boat with us. The disciples forgot that number one, Jesus was on the boat with them. And number two, it was Jesus' idea to get on the boat. They forgot. The journey that you and I are in, guess what? It is Jesus' idea. And you have to remember that he is in the boat with you. It may not always make sense as to why the storm is happening, but I want you to know that Jesus is always intentional. We may not know the why, but Jesus is intentional. Jesus wanted them to go through the storm. Now, wait a minute. You might be saying, neither. How could Jesus want them to go through such a horrible situation? And better yet, are you telling me that Jesus wants me to go through what I'm going through? I want you to know that God is sovereign. I want you to know that God will sometimes allow us to weather the storm because he has a plan and a purpose for you. And that plan and purpose often entails us learning something about who he is. We spend so much time trying to figure out how to get around the circumstance. We're trying to figure out how to get around the trials and how to get around the sufferings. But the truth is that going through it, getting around it, that's not God's plan. But going through it is. Hmm. 
You see, the storms that we encounter in our lives, they're either going to make us turn away from God or they're going to make us run right to him. Like we were just singing a few minutes ago. The Bible says in James chapter 1 verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised those who love him. If we truly believe that God oversees every aspect of our lives, then we can trust. We can trust that whatever storm, whatever trial, whatever suffering, whatever difficulty we endure, Jesus has put us there and we are not alone. We are not alone because Jesus is in the boat with you. Point number two. You can cry out to him or you can rest in him. You can cry out or you can rest in him. So they realized that they were no match for this raging storm. That they confronted, that they have not been confronted with an element of nature that is beyond their control. They are no match for it. And at some point, somebody remembers that Jesus is on the boat. And the Bible says that they found him in the stern of the boat, sleeping. Now, picture for a moment. I want you to picture this for a moment. You're one of the disciples. You're going crazy trying to keep yourself and your crew alive. You suddenly remember, wait a minute, Jesus is on boat with us, on the boat with us. So you go frantically looking for him. And you're probably thinking, he's probably on the other side of the boat helping everybody. So let me go get Jesus, right? But instead, what you find is Jesus tucked away in the back of the boat, sleeping. Picture that for a moment. The Bible says that they woke him up and I can imagine that in their fear and in their frustration and in their desperation, they cried out to him, how could you be sleeping at a time like this? Don't you care? Don't you see what's happening? Don't you care if we drown? You know, sometimes it's interesting. It's interesting to me to see their reaction that when they noticed he was sleeping, what they thought was he doesn't care about us. He's sleeping. He obviously doesn't care about us. There's, we have to remember something. These disciples, these are the same guys that have been with Jesus day in and day out. They were firsthand witnesses of Jesus performing miracles and healing people. But when they find themselves battling a storm that is beyond them, their first response was, I can't do this by myself. Why are you sleeping? Why don't you care about me? How many times have we gotten mad at God and maybe even questioned and shouted at him? Why is this happening to me? Don't you see what's happening to us? Why don't you care about me? Why aren't you listening to me? Guys, I want you to know that even though Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. Guess what? Jesus knows everything and Jesus is always there. We might feel like he's absent. We might feel like he's sleeping. We might feel like he doesn't see us or like he doesn't hear us or like he's not answering our prayers. But the truth is that Jesus is in the boat with you. He has always been there. 
You see, our tendency during times of trials and difficulty, it's to cry out. And believe it or not, the reason why we cry out is because there is a perceived sense of abandonment in us. Hmm. We cry out because there is a perceived sense of abandonment in us. Fear and desperation, like I mentioned earlier, have a funny way of altering what we believe and what we know. Yet the Bible tells us in the book of Deuteronomy that God is a merciful God and he will not abandon or destroy you or forget his covenant with you. Jesus, you have to know that Jesus was with you before you got in the boat. Jesus is with you while you're in the boat and he will continue to be with you when all hell breaks loose. Thank you, God. You are not abandoned. Jesus is on your side. You are never alone. Towards the end of the year 2020, my family faced a series of difficult events and it felt like everything was happening one thing after another. We didn't realize that our, we were in a spiritual storm and that storm was raging and our family's boat was being rocked and it was being shaken from death in our extended family to COVID touching every one of us to family conflicts that required all the family's intervention to issues at work. It was just one thing after another. And I, my husband and I, we found ourselves very much like the disciples. We were scrambling like chickens without a head, trying to figure it out, um, trying to work it out. Uh, and without even knowing it, we found ourselves leaning on our own strength and in our own understanding. And just when we got close to our breaking point, I remember the very day that my husband vocalized, I don't know how much more we can take. The Lord, in his infinite love and in his infinite mercy, because that's how he is, he loves us. In his infinite love and in his infinite mercy, he sent us an unexpected friend. <laughs> he sent us a friend to come to our house and say, you know what? Your boat is being rocked. And even though your boat is being rocked and battled by the storm, guess what? Jesus hasn't left you. He hasn't left your family. He's merely sleeping. It's time to wake him up. And I said, oh my God, I let Jesus fall asleep in my boat. And you know what? That's exactly what my family did. That very night, together with our friends, in the middle of our living room, we began to storm heaven with our prayers. And most importantly, we began to storm heaven with worship. And we asked God to forgive us for thinking that we could handle it on our own. And we acknowledged that he was sovereign and that he's in control and that we would be still and simply trust and know that he is God and that he knows what is best and that he's got our backs. And we told him, Lord, until things turn around, we're simply going to trust and worship. Even though the storm persisted for several weeks later. Even though the storm persisted for several weeks later, I want you to know that Jesus intervened. He brought healing. He brought peace. He brought restoration to our family. And he is still working a miracle in us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know, many people believe that the disciples were weak for being scared. Many think that they were weak for waking Jesus up. But the truth is 
that sometimes crying out to Jesus for help is what shows us his authority and his faithfulness. Sometimes we just need to cry out. So if you're here today, and your boat is being rocked and shaken. If you are here today and you have been trying to stay afloat and stay alive, I want you to know that it is time to stop relying on yourself. It is time to start trying to, to stop trying to figure it out on your own and remember who is in the boat with you. It's time to cry out and it is time to wake Jesus up. Hallelujah. Because you were never meant to handle this on your own. You were never meant to handle it. On the flip side of things, I want you to know that even though the disciples panicked and they cried out, we can't neglect to take notice of the fact that Jesus wasn't fearful. Jesus wasn't anxious or panicked. He wasn't worried or concerned about what was happening. No! Jesus was sleeping. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There are some of us here today who are going to need to cry out to Jesus in our times of trouble because that's how God shows us his authority and faithfulness, right? But there are others who are here today. <laughs> there are others who are here today who are simply going to have to trust that God is giving you rest. He is giving you rest in the midst of the storm. Even when the storm is raging, God is teaching some of us to rest in his promises and to put your complete faith and trust in him. Even when things look like they can't get any worse than what they already are, he is calling you to rest. He is calling you to curl up next to Jesus on the boat and rest. You see, it's easy for us to look at our circumstance, right? And to focus on how big and how bad it is and how difficult it is rather than to look at the promises that he has made to us in his word. It's so easy to look at the circumstance and not focus on his promises. Will you rest in his promise over your life? God tells you today, my presence will go with you, whether it is through times of, of turmoil, times of financial distress, whether it is through good times or bad times, whether it's through times of sickness or death, fear, depression, anxiety, wherever it is that you find yourself, God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. This is not about him making the journey easy, no. It's about us going through it and recognizing that even though the storm is greater than us, it is not greater than God. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's about knowing that he has promised to go with us. So we can choose to cry out or we can choose to rest in his promise. And in that rest, let me tell you something, there is peace. In that rest, there is freedom from fear and from freedom from doubt. You see, without God's presence, this journey that we're on would be futile. But God is teaching us to sleep in the boat with Jesus. Even though everything in me is telling me to get up and grab a bucket and start scooping the water out. I'm choosing to rest. I'm choosing to be still. I am choosing to know that he is God. Hallelujah. Look at what it says in verse 39 of chapter 4. It says, 
it says that Jesus, that when Jesus got up, he rebuked the winds and said to the waves, silence, be still. And the Bible says that suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he looks at them and he says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then 41 says the disciples were absolutely terrified. They were terrified. The disciples were not expecting this at all. The Bible says that they were left utterly perplexed. They began to ask each other, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Guys, let me tell you something. Up until this point, the disciples, they had witnessed Jesus teaching. They had witnessed him performing miracles. They had witnessed him healing people. But Jesus needed them to understand that he is more than a teacher. He is more than a miracle worker. They didn't understand that with them in the boat was the creator of heaven and earth. That is why it says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme. He is supreme over all creation. Not just some of it, but all of it. He is above it all. And it is all subject to him. I don't think the disciples understood the supremacy of Jesus. Colossians continues to tell us, for through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. When he says the heavenly realms, guys, we're not talking about the sky that we see above. We're talking about the spiritual realm. I want to make that clear. They knew him only as a teacher and a healer of physical bodies. But they didn't fully understand his supremacy. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? He is the creator of the wind and the waves. He is the creator of heaven and everything that is on earth, including you and I. That is why the psalmist could say in Psalms 139, you made all my delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's wombs. That is why he can command the sick to be healed and their bodies will be made whole because our bodies were fashioned and formed by his hands. That is why he can sleep in the boat in the middle of a storm because he knows that even the wind and the waves are subject to him who created them hallelujah the same way that Jesus commanded the wind to be silent and to be still he commands your heart today to be silent and be still and know that he is God the supreme and he will be exalted among the nations and on the earth. Be still. Recognize that he is supreme. Recognize that he is supreme over all things. It is his presence and power that are at work in our lives. And because of it, we can be at peace. Knowing that Jesus is the supreme authority who is in control of all things. 
I don't know if you are grasping fully what I'm trying to tell you today. Jesus is supreme. And he is in control of everything that happens in the physical. He is supreme and he is in control of everything that happens in the natural. He is supreme and he is in control of everything that happens in the spiritual as well. The disciples needed to go through the storm with Jesus. And that is why you and I need to go through the storm of life. Why? Because point number three, which is my final point. The storm is what's preparing you for what's next. It's preparing you to be able to handle what comes next. Directly following the storm. Jesus, we're in chapter five now of the book of Mark. Directly after the storm, Jesus and the disciples arrive on the other side of the lake. But if we study the Bible and you study, you know, the original language, well, you know that they use lake to describe any body of water. It was more like an ocean. It was more like the sea, okay? They make it to the other side of the lake. They arrive in a region that the Bible says was called the Gerasenes. And the Bible says that when Jesus climbed out of the boat, Jesus was met by a demon-possessed man who comes running out from the tombs. I want you to know something. This man wasn't living with his family. This man was living among the tombs in a graveyard. The Bible gives us a description of the severity of this man's condition. It describes him as being a disturbance to his family and to his community. So much so that they often tried to control his behavior. They would tie him up in all sorts of ways. The Bible says they would even use chains to tie him up. But the Bible also says that the man had supernatural strength. And he would break free of his restraints and destroy the chains that they would use to bind him. The Bible also tells us that this man would physically harm himself. He was literally and physically in the worst condition that anyone could possibly be. Now I want you to take a moment. I want, I want to take a moment to give you a little bit of context here. What we're seeing here in chapter 5 of the book of Mark, it's not something that we would have seen or heard of. Everything about this encounter screams, Jesus and the disciples should not be here. Everything about it, okay? The region, let, let me explain this. The region of, of the Gerasenes, it was a Gentile region. It wasn't Jewish, it was Gentile, okay? The man approaching Jesus was a Gentile. The Jews and the Gentiles didn't associate with one another. Because of, uh, of Jewish laws and customs, a lot of things were considered to be a no-no and and and. Being together with Gentiles was a no-no under Jewish customs. A lot of things were also considered to be unclean, right? But then again, this encounter, everything about this encounter was considered unclean. The man is demon-possessed. Unclean. On top of being a Gentile, he is demon-possessed. Unclean. The man was living in a graveyard. Graveyards considered unclean. The man more than likely had open flesh wounds on him from cutting himself with blood, blood, unclean, okay? By nature, he was considered unclean. His condition made him unclean. His environment made him unclean. And yet here is Jesus 
a Jewish rabbi with his Jewish followers on unclean Gentile territory among all that is considered to be unclean. I could imagine what might have been going through the disciples' heads if back in the boat they were thinking, he doesn't care about us because he's sleeping. I, it's very, very possible that their deeply ingrained Jewish customs were screaming on the inside of them, we need to get out of here. We would call it legalism here, right? We would, they would be screaming on the inside, we should not be here. We need to get out of here. Why would Jesus choose to go to an unclean place to encounter this unclean person? I believe it is because there is still yet an aspect of his supremacy that had to be revealed. That they had yet to experience and needed to be revealed. You see, just hours ago, we know that they had witnessed him teaching and, and healing and performing miracles, right? Then they witnessed him calming the raging sea. And now they're staring into the face of an unclean, demon-possessed man that no one can control. They still didn't fully understand the authority that stood in the flesh right next to them. They didn't know. But guess who understood Jesus' authority? Guess who understood it? If we read past verse 7, right? The demon that was residing in the man understood Jesus' authority. Hmm. Hmm. When we read past verse 7, it tells us that the demon recognized Jesus as what? The demon recognized him as Jesus, son of the most high God. Not just son of God, but the most high God. They recognized him as the one who has more power and authority than they do. They recognized him as the one who is in control of their final destination. And guess what? They were afraid of him. The demons were afraid of him. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? The demon then begins to negotiate with Jesus. Kind of like how Satan negotiated with Jesus back in the desert when Jesus was fasting for 40 days. This demon begins to negotiate with Jesus. And the demon, Jesus asks him. Jesus had already commanded him to come out, but he starts wrestling here with Jesus. So Jesus asks the demon its name. And look at what the demon responds. My name is Legion because we are many. Now, we know that in Bible days, names carried a great meaning. Names were significant. People were often defined by their name, right? Today, we recognize that a legion is the equivalent of 6,000, a 6,000 soldier army strong soldiers. 6,000, okay? So imagine, it's very possible that the name Legion had an implication to the level of bondage that this man was under. He had, supernatural, he had the supernatural strength of a Legion, and yet, here's Legion begging and negotiating with Jesus. Hmm. 
Legion knows that with one command, come out, Jesus is capable of casting them out of this man. And knowing Legion's fate, Legion begins to, Legion begs to enter into a herd of 2,000 pigs. And the Bible says that Jesus allowed it. And such was the destruction of Legion that the Bible says that the entire herd of pigs ran wild into a body of water and they all drowned. Now, it's hard for us to read this and fully understand why Jesus allowed something like this to happen, right? It's difficult to understand why God allowed it to happen this way. And let me tell you something, that to the Gentiles that were living in that region, they didn't understand it either. And if you read the story, you'll see that they asked Jesus to leave. They didn't get it. They asked Jesus to leave, okay? Why did he have to destroy all our pigs is what they, is what they were more focused on, right? They didn't understand it. And if you read the remainder of the story, like I said, the Gerasenes, they ask him to leave. However, for the Jews that were there with Jesus, for the Jews that were living during this time, witnessing this encounter would have had a huge implication on them. They would have understood it. They would have seen it in a totally different light. And I'm going to explain to you why. During this time, the Jews were under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. And while we understand that legion is 6,000, right? That's how we, we that, that's the literal term of a legion, 6,000. In Rome, a Roman battalion of soldiers, also known as legion, only contained 2,000 soldiers. Coincidentally, a Roman legion contained 2,000 soldiers, 2,000 pigs. And coincidentally, it was during this time that the 10th Roman legion, under the leadership of a man named Gaius Octavius, was, in, was stationed in Judea with his 2,000 soldiers. The Roman flag, you know that um, armies usually have a banner, a flag, right? That, that represents their battalion, right? Do you want to know what the mascot on the battalion was? It was a pig. It was a boar. So for the Jewish person standing there, the implication of something so unclean and oppressive being cast into 2,000 pigs and being destroyed would have had a totally different meaning. I can't even begin to tell you the level of symbolism the, Bibles would, the, the disciples would have seen during this encounter. Legion had this Gentile man bound, just as the Jews had been bound by the Roman rule and oppression, and just as humanity had been bound and oppressed by Satan. Jesus, who is supreme over the physical and who is supreme over the natural, would now demonstrate his supremacy even over that that is spiritual. That is why Colossians says that he is supreme over the heavenly realms, the spiritual realm, and over the earth, which is the physical realm that you and I live in. Not only did he free this man from his bondage, but the fact that he was a Gentile shows us it shows us that Jesus was sent to set the captives free. 
He was sent to send the he was sent in order to set the captives free and those captives include both Jew and Gentiles. He was not just sent for a group of people no, he was sent for the world. He was sent for all of us. The pigs with the demons in them ran into a body and drowned, a body of water and drowned. And this testifies to a time in the future described in the book of Revelations chapter 20 verse 10 that says the devil, the beast, and the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. The pigs and the demons drowning in a body of water, they drowned in a body of water, but let me tell you something. Thing. Satan and his demonic realm will be cast into the lake of fire to be judged eternally and to suffer eternally for their disobedience. In case you didn't know, hell wasn't created for you. It wasn't created for you. Sin will take you there. Sin will take you there, but it wasn't created for you. It was created for the satanic realm that rebelled against God. Even though hell was originally their punishment, hell will punish the sins of anyone who rejects Jesus. God does not desire to send us there. That is why Jesus gave his life on the cross. But people, unfortunately, send themselves there. By refusing to accept the forgiveness and salvation that Jesus offered freely on the cross. And one day, soon and very soon, our supreme Lord and Savior will return. And he will defeat Satan and his demonic realm once and for all. They will be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. I want you to know that Jesus crossed the sea through a storm to get to this one man and save him. Just Jesus also went through a great lengths to make it to this one encounter. And in the same way that he went through great lengths to make it to this one encounter, he goes through great lengths for you. He's gone through great lengths to get to all of us. He gave up his riches and glory in order to lower himself and become flesh and die on a cross for all our sins so that we no longer have to suffer the penalty of sin. Or go through the storms of life by ourselves. Jesus is the son of the most high God. He's more than a teacher. He is more than a miracle worker. Jesus is supreme over everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He isn't interested in just calming the literal storms. He is here today to calm the storms that rage within us. And to show us his authority and faithfulness. To give us supernatural rest in the midst of whatever it is that we are going through. And to show us that he has the power and authority over all things, including Satan and his demonic realm. Jesus' love doesn't leave any one of us out. It doesn't leave you out. We may think that we are too far gone. But I want you to know that Jesus comes for even the worst of us. He comes for even the worst of us. He is the God who heals our bodies. He is the God that calms the raging sea. And he is the God who has authority and power and dominion over the spiritual realm. He will go through great lengths to reach you where you are. So if God is for us, 
who can be against us praise the lord as the worship team comes up if you are here today and you've been going through some stuff whether it's going through the motions because i know sometimes life just makes us feel like it's just repetitive over and over again the same thing if you feel like you're going through the motions i want you to know that there is a facet of god that he wants to reveal to you today if you're here today and you've been struggling and you haven't been able to get out of that rut i am here today that there is a facet of god's eternal love that he wants to reveal to you today if you are here today and you don't know jesus as your personal savior and you've been struggling to find happiness and to find joy i want you to know that there is fullness of joy in his presence that there is fullness of joy in christ jesus the savior and the lover of our souls I'm going to ask you all to stand for a moment. If you're here in need of prayer, I want you to come to the altar and we'll meet you here. Jesus is here and he is ready to meet you here in this place. He is ready to meet you where you are. Praise the Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. taking the time to listen to this sermon. We pray it blesses and encourages your life.